This is Baja SAE Shop Talk, the official podcast of the Baja SAE series. Welcome to the fourth episode of Baja SAE Shop Talk. I'm your host, Amanda Petrakowski, University Program Developer at SAE International, and many of you know me as the keeper of the tech number clipboard. On this episode, I'll be recapping Baja SAE Tennessee Tech, but first, I'm excited to announce that you can now subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher and iTunes. That's the best way to hear every episode, like episode number three featuring Mike Zimmerman from Briggs & Stratton talking about the 2017 engine. We'll link to that episode in the show notes, which, as always, can be found at BajaSAE.net slash podcast. Now on with the recap. It was a fitting way to kick off the 40th year of Baja at Tennessee Tech, a university that's been involved since nearly the beginning, first entering a competition in 1977. Their connection to Baja runs deep, and we spoke to organizer Dale Wilson about that history. Even before I came in 84, the, I think it was either 81 or 82 that we hosted our first event here, and then I helped with events that we had here, uh, and I'd have to look at what those dates were back in the 80s and 90s. Those were held uh, when we had the water event uh, as a part of the competition, and we held it at Center Hill Lake, which is not far from here. That was kind of an interesting thing because it was a, a, a neat uh, location visually, but we could not build any obstacles at that location. And it only had a capacity for about 40 or 50 teams uh, to have pits and other things of that for. But for a facility like this, we've been able to bring in a, a 100 teams and squeeze in uh, pretty comfortably. One of the first things teams noticed when they arrived was that they were about to enter a working farm. Just days before the competition, there was a livestock show in the arena, and you could still see some cows and sheep over the hills. But Dale's crew transformed this site overnight into a makeshift motocross track. He continued on talking about the uniqueness of this site. Well, this is the third year that we have used this facility. The first of those three, we only had it for the first two days, and the dynamic events were elsewhere. As of uh, 2013, we were able to use the farm that we have here to use as the dynamic uh, events. And so that's been a great asset for the students not have to move or do anything else uh, with that. And so we learned how to use the facility in 13. I think we, we really feel very comfortable now with what we can do with it and, and facilitating the activities that need to happen. This facility here, the Hyder Brooks Pavilion, is used basically every weekend uh, year-round for activities uh, with the community, with agricultural activities. They have uh, rodeos here. They have uh, uh, horse shows here. They have livestock shows here. Uh, they have community events here like Christmas uh, shopping kind of things that they have here. So the, the, the facility itself is highly, highly utilized uh, all, all year round. As a matter of fact, I had to actually reserve the, this, this space uh, this weekend three years ago to be able to get the space. Uh, to, but they've been great to work with. The College of Agriculture has been. After paddocking, it was time for sales presentations. It wasn't long ago that only one of the three competitions had sales presentations. When we were at Tennessee Tech in 2013, they didn't host a sales presentation. But they did a great job finding rooms on site this year. Now that all three competitions have sales presentations, teams are still trying to figure out how they can best meet the objectives. We spoke to University of Puerto Rico about how they tried to solve a real-world problem in their presentation. And where we are from, from Puerto Rico, and a lot of uh, places in the Caribbean, uh, food is uh, locally grown. And since we have a lot of mountains, we know that it's not a big flat where a bunch of crops, there's a lot of mountains, a lot of 
uh, hills that we the, the farmers have to get around in order to actually get uh, make the food and so that we can grow the product to grow the product and so this is something that we see every day when we drive around and so we thought that maybe our car could help with our problem. Day two brought us another static event, the Polaris design presentations. We often remind teams jokingly that Baja is an engineering design competition, not a race. But design really is the event where teams can prove it. It isn't simply enough to copy last year's design. We spoke to Rowan University about the importance of continuous improvement. Something I'm really proud of just going through the whole car is that ultimately we are students. We're trying to learn through the whole process. And there are so many things I can look at on this car and say, they did that wrong last year, but we learned from that and we did that right this year. And, and there's things that were done wrong on the car two years ago and we, we learned how to do them right this year. So we're just, every year we're getting better and we're looking forward to a really great competition this year. While the design judges were in the show barn, the Honda tech inspectors were working just outside. The first competition of the year is always a little rough in tech inspection as teams are learning how the tech leads interpret the new rules. Frame Tech, Mark, talked to us about the big picture of the first step in tech inspection, Frame Check. We know that the students can sometimes get a little frustrated with us because we kind of have this grand desire, a plan of how we want them to be uh, approached, like a kind of a, uh, an equation almost of, of how this all gets put together. And it's so hard to put that into a rule book. And so every year we kind of refine it and refine it and refine it. And so this year there was a refinement that we made to the side impact members um, where we want to try and make all the tubes treated the same way, treated equally. Um, and that's resulted in a little bit of confusion, some of which we addressed earlier, some of which we were addressing today. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I know that, that a lot of students can maybe get a little um, frustrated by it. But, I mean, in past years... We've had teams that have to make exoskeletons and huge changes to their frames and lots of work. And there's really very little of that. So I know from the student perspective, you know, it's always like terrible and horrible and stuff like that. But from our perspective, things are going great. Like when we don't have to tell a team that they've got to completely rebuild their frame or put an exoskeleton on, like one or two tubes here or there is like money. It's like great and wonderful. Even though most teams were getting through frame check without major issues, there were a few common problems that teams were running into this year. We spoke to lead tech inspector Jason Rounds about what those issues were. Uh, at this competition, the big issue is the kill switch mounting. Probably the other issue would be throttle uh, linkage going back uh, to, full, um, to full throttle and going back to idle. Uh, probably about 15% of the cars have not done that properly. Uh, fasteners for the kill switch is the other big one. Uh, where teams are, we've updated the rules this year, it's a new rule, and uh, they're not executing it the way they, uh, they should. The tech team released a tech bulletin after competition to make teams aware of those issues for the following competitions. We'll link to those in the show notes as well. Because of these issues, many teams were waiting for the tech inspectors bright and early on Dynamic Day, which as a result got off to a slow start. But shout out to our tech team who moved teams through at record speed so that all teams had plenty of time to complete their dynamic events. We spoke to organizer Dale Wilson about their dynamic events. We'll have uh, acceleration, uh, uh, sled pull, uh, land maneuverability, but it's a suspension traction that really is the rugged test for these cars. And out of the, the, the 100 cars, we might have uh, about 
50 of those who can actually finish the course on the suspension traction. It's just a few yards away from where we're standing right now. 50 cars to finish suspension, Dale? How about 15? Usually the suspension course is a crowd favorite, but at Tennessee Tech, the maneuverability course is just as popular. Hometown favorites Tennessee Tech spoke to us about how their design choices helped them win this event. The biggest feature that we're most proud of uh, would be our gearbox with a lockable differential. Uh, the gearbox was actually a custom machine for us by Space Age Machinery here in town. And then uh, we use a differential off of a T-Rex 750, and that's a clutch pack diff. So we can lock it or unlock it uh, on the fly, you know, at any time, and that just gives us a lot of maneuverability. Next up was endurance. One of the common questions we get is why we don't always produce course maps. The honest answer is because no course map ever survives the first lap. That held true with this competition as well. The course designers have to balance developing a challenging course as well as one that's navigable. Four hours is a long time, but it only takes one lap for the course map to change. With a handful of rollovers in the first lap, Sam Burrell, the tech team, and the organizers responded quickly to reroute the course, allowing the endurance race to carry on smoothly. The top teams battled it out, but at the end of the day, it was Iowa State who got the checkered flag. We spoke to them about how a team manages to win a four-hour race. Spoiler alert, it isn't by having the fastest car. Well, we really start in the summer. We got together on Skype and did some team leader meetings and got together and picked out some concepts that we liked, and we continued to work through the fall. We started manufacturing around December, January, and we've had a fully functional car for about two weeks here when we've gotten some good quality testing time in, so all year round. And I spread my spring break and my winter breaks in the shop working, and it takes a lot of time. Definitely a rolling project. There's always people working on it all year round because, I mean, we're running summer competitions too, so... When the scores were calculated for all events, the top 10 looked like this. 10th place, Cal Poly Pomona. 9th place, Government College of Engineering, Pune. 8th place, North Carolina State University. 7th place, Ohio Northern University. 6th place, Iowa State University. 5th place, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. 4th place, the University of Michigan Ann Arbor. 3rd place, ETS. 2nd place, Cornell University. First place, RIT. We launched a new results format on BajaSAE.net where you can find all the final results from this competition as well as all the others as they happen. We'll link to those in the show notes as well. Overall, this was a great way to kick off the 40th season of Baja. Thanks to all the volunteers, organizers, sponsors, and competitors that made it happen. On the next episode, we'll be talking to the Baja SAE California organizers with a preview of their competition. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher so you don't miss that. While you're there, remember to check out episode number three about the 2017 engine. Thanks for listening to Baja SAE Shop Talk. As always, we want to hear from you, so email BajaSAE at SAE.org. The show notes for this episode, as well as all others, can be found at www.BajaSAE.net slash podcast. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next episode. How far away did you guys come from to get here? Uh, it's about a 13-hour drive after a few stops. Google said 15. <laughs>